0: you could have chose to be. You chose to good morning, be right here super with superhumans. Yes, yes, yes. Number one breakfast that show in the it. world to yes. me, yes. and I absolutely speaking, love. Uh, you I am
1: Amelia, and said, call this the Genius look. And I want to welcome some breakfast of my genius trainers. Uh, official Mark MK, so I believe you are here. Yes, hello, buddy, buddy. Good morning, Uh Sean James. He's with us as well, and Mister Randy Jones. Good morning, Randall. How are you this morning?
2: I am awake. Death is always a good sign.
1: That's right. I told you, Glenn Rundy is kicking all of our butts to make us get up at 5 a.m., right, and right, rise and grind. Uh, so I absolutely love it. So listen, I am so excited about today's guest. I might actually jump out of my skin. Yeah. Literally jump out of my skin. She has been singing my tune for years. I am so blessed that you brought her with us, and this is going to be—everybody hang on tight, and if you are not taking notes, shame on you, but yes, there'll be a podcast— um, you want to do with the intro, Randy?
2: I, I tell you, I I will. I just have to share a little bit of backstory. For one thing, again, I keep doing the mean thing where I get the people that aren't in the Eastern time zone. So she's in Melbourne. <laughs> so I keep inviting people that are coming on really early. I think it was like six, seven years ago, uh, I had approached, I was writing a newspaper column, I approached my friend Shannon, who here should I write about? And she said, Randy Robin Houser. She's got a film here called "Code: Debugging the Gender Gap." It's a documentary. She's your girl. She's the one you need to write about. And this six, seven years later, she's still my person. Uh, we have—I've now covered three of her films, three of her cause-based documentary films: "Code: Debugging the Gender Gap," "Bias," which is somewhat self-explanatory, which Amelia's right up your alley. Uh, oh,
1: okay. And I will tell you where I fell in love. Can I tell you why I fell in love? Yeah. Okay, because so she did a TED talk. I say, I think 2019, I think uh-huh. that be a lot, TED talk that was called Likeability Dilemma for Women Leaders. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. did this woman speak the truth because this has been my struggle. I literally think she was talking to me because the struggle about between leadership and likeability. If you have not listened to that TED talk, whether you have a daughter, you are a fan of woman, if you are a woman, if you know a woman, you need to listen to that TED Talk. It is a game changer on our perspective on what happens on a daily basis and why it hurts us as a society. So for me, I fell in love at that moment.
2: Well, I mean, I've just been so blessed because I've been able to cover all three of these films. I got to say a little shout out to her. She is this is my fourth season of the Jones.Show podcast. Robin's second appearance on my podcast to cover the most recent film, which is Savvy, about women in finance. It's the third most popular of all time. Of all time, Whoa, all of yo- my shows, wow, and she was yay. like, passed, she passed Aaron Brockovich, she passed Vanna White, she was just, I'm Robin, good Robin, you're passing, you're passing. Uh so the the Robin love is catching on, and I certainly have it, and she is here, and I'm thrilled to say hello to her.
3: Good morning, well, <laughs> good morning. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome right now. At first, I was like, wait, hang on, I'm on the wrong day, I'm on the wrong show. <laughs> 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 who are they talking about i want to meet that woman oh you you all are so sweet well thank you uh,
1: so, so robin i have to just share a quick story for you because i think i know you will relate so again I, I fell in love i think you're absolutely everything this world needs right here right now um and so i was i'm and i am that girl right i have a lot of masculine traits m- traits my my resume is very very heavy um, it's going to take you a minute before you realize you're reading a woman's resume, not a man's resume. Um, I've done nine companies over 100 million have employed 53,000 employees and I'm known as a category disrupt- disruptor. So likable is nowhere near my name. And <laughs> my name. Uh, warm and fuzzy is not me. And my entire, life, my entire life, every man I have ever met says to me, if you could just be a little softer. But I had the same experience you do um with somebody going, Oh, don't you have like that little kind of, isn't it like a soap hobby, like some hobby? And I'm like, Yeah, that hobby is a $380 million company.
3: Oh, I feel you. Oh my right. God. You, I'll tell you a funny story. When I first proposed this, I had um three TED coaches, TEDx coaches. So I've done two TED Talks. This one was a TEDx. And um when I first when I first wrote it, you know, it was a little bit different than than what I ended up presenting on stage, but it was pretty close. And when I first wrote it and I presented it on Zoom, you know, to the to my coaches, it was the the woman coach was unavailable that day, so it was two men. Very well intended, very nice men, but they said to me afterwards, they said, you know, do you have any sort of stronger examples? Do you have any like I mean, you know, I mean, I know you might not want to talk about it, but have you ever been like sexually harassed or? And I said well, I think you're missing the point. This is about the microaggressions. This is about the little things day in, day out that happen to women um, that a lot of people do not even realize they're doing, right? And they were like, well, okay, but maybe you can just come up with a few more examples. And <laughs> but when I got off stage and the audience really related, they loved it. I mean, they, were, they stood up in their chairs and because I had total and complete stage fright with my TED talk that had happened a year or two before this, I was so happy that I actually like made it through the speech without any hiccups. So I was walking off stage and that my two coaches were like, Oh my God, Robin, they loved it. Like, that's crazy. They loved it. And they were really surprised. And I just think that as well intended as they were and are, they just couldn't see it for themselves. They just couldn't quite identify with what women go through on a daily basis well and so to
1: to help fill in the blanks for the people that are listening i really want you to explain because it really hit home for me like this constant struggle that i have the the contradiction between leadership and likable if you could just touch on why that becomes a struggle for us as women
3: yeah it's called the competence likability dilemma, and I certainly did not coin that term myself um, It's been you know written about before um, it's women in our society are expected to be you know, uh, helpful and supportive and differential, right and yet leaders in our society in most societies are respected when they are assertive, decisive, competent, strong, right? And men traditionally hold those traits. And when they do in the workplace, that's what's expected of them as leaders. So the dilemma is that for women, the qualities that are valued in leadership, like assertiveness and decisiveness, go against societal norms of what it is to be a likable woman. So when women have to Take these leadership roles and feel as though they need to take on those mainly masculine traits to be respected as a leader. we violate gender gender norms of what it is to be a likable woman, and we're less likable
1: and I think that's where and again, I'm never saying that that it's intended. you know the whole premise of genius key is to heal unintended pain, right It's the unintended pain that cuts so deeply. Um, my entire career, just yesterday, somebody said to me, so is it your husband's business? Is it your father's business? Is it your brother's business? And I'm like, no, none of my businesses have been any of those. They've been my businesses. And what's difficult is they cannot put their hands around why i have hit scale so many different times and i'm a female and the next question comes well do you have children and i'm like why is this so hard for you why is it so hard for you to wrap your head around this is where we are in today's society and your struggle causes pain your struggle to try to understand how i come in high heels and still hold this role causes a huge amount of turmoil internally right because now i'm not perceived as soft or nurturing and those other things and and i think that's the internal struggle um that we're going through let alone all the other biases that are out there and i think it's a conversation that is needed because i don't think people realize um how they do that by some of the daily interactions that literally just take us out on our knees and further the conversation, right? It furthers that I we have one son and three daughters, um, and my daughter says the same thing. You know, I spoke up out in class, and then what she heard was, well, you know, you should have wrote it or you should have kept it to yourself. You shouldn't have spoken up on what she believed. Then, right? And again, my the my our youngest is only fourteen years old, already being told, right, to be less aggressive or a uh, less um, assertive with her thoughts and her beliefs.
3: Yeah, and that just drives me crazy. I mean, that just drives me crazy. You know, often, and I i was actually uh, recording a podcast yesterday, and one of the questions was, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm young, I'm only 23, I um, have this opportunity to be the head of the engineering team. Right now, all the other engineers are my buddies, they're my pals. I'm afraid if I become their boss, I'm not going to be, they're not going to like me. And she said, well, I really don't know what to do. You know, part of me just wants to stay in the position I'm in. And I said, absolutely not. Take that promotion. You have to take the promotion. You have to not, and it's easy for me to say at this point in my career, right? Like, forget being likable. But I think most women who have made it and who are, you know, in the C-suite in tech or in, um, the corporate world or in finance would say. Try to forget about being likable because what you want to do is you want to be awesome and you want to be respected and hopefully the world can change and the world can adapt and redefine what it is to be a successful female leader. And that successful female leader might take on the same traits as a man. And that is okay. And by the way, why does, why does leadership have to be decisive, um, assertive and, and you know, why can't it be empathetic? And compassionate
1: right which is a brilliant question right within itself so can you tell me like how how did you find this path or the path find you about um being a documentary filmmaker like i i don't think i've ever met anybody right i've been in entertainment a long time but i've been in the wrong side of entertainment that's for sure um how did this find you? How did this calling find you? I, I find your career absolutely fascinating. And at the same time, um, when you, uh, and I've had the opportunity to, to interview a lot of the top, top two percenters. And when you look at their habits, what they do to feed their brain is they read and they absorb documentaries, right? They absorb them more so than a lot of the stuff um, that other folks do. So how did you find this calling?
3: Well, I I took a completely different path than most filmmakers. I got out of business school and became a stockbroker. I lived in Europe and I sold IPOs. And I did that for a couple years until my relationship with the the man with whom I was living in Europe broke up. And I came home and and, uh, married a, a guy that I knew from college. And He was like yeah i'm not so into you working in the stock market from california you know up at three and and i agreed you know what kind of a family life would that be um so i dropped out of that and i just picked up my um, hobby at the time it was i hate that word but um my passion for photography and so i began to be a photographer and so that i had some side job and i'd always been interested in photography And I will tell you, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I think I was in my early thirties and I went to a small art house theater in San Francisco and watched a film called born into brothels. And I had one of those moments where I sat in the theater. So moved like goosebumps everywhere. But also with this sort of unsettled feeling in my stomach, like I was missing out, like I want to be in that creative world. I want to tell visual, I want to be part of visual storytelling. Because it was this film that just, it was visually beautiful, the story was incredible, I loved the way the filmmakers started out to tell the stories about the women of the night in Calcutta and ended up telling the story about their children and how they raised all these children. And Anyway, I walked out of the theater thinking, I've got to do that someday. Someday I'm going to make a documentary film. But I had two kids still in the house and, and that someday moment came when my daughter was in, uh, her junior year of high school and she was on the cross country team and her, uh, coach was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. And they wanted to win the California State Division V championship for him because they knew he was not going to be there very long. And um, it was a dramatic finish that Nike happened to be filming. Um, one of the top runners, who happened to be my daughter, collapsed five meters from the finish line and had to crawl across the line. And that team, and they still won, the California Division V women's cross country team. So we got a ton of attention and I had documentary filmmakers came to me and and came to the school and said, this is an incredible story. We want to make a film about it. And so I thought, wow, well, maybe this is my opportunity. And I jumped in primarily to protect my daughter. We were, you know, and by the way, to the listeners out there (laughs) making a film that involves your teenage daughter is not something I recommend, (laughs) but, but in, but in the end, it's, you know, it's a story called Running for Jim. You can find it on Amazon Prime. You know, it was, it, I ended up taking the film over and then partnering with a, with another director to finish it. Um, you know, production quality is not the highest, but it's a compelling story. And that was my first um, taste of, it was like going to film school, right? Because I jumped in knowing very little Thank you to the San Francisco documentary community who held my hand, who taught me so much, including the late Jamie Redford, who they just were so kind and helpful to me um, with the zillions of questions that I had. But after that, I, remember, I think, thought to myself, okay, now I've got the bug. What's my next film? And I really haven't stopped since then. I've loved it. And because I have a business degree, I think I approached it in a little bit different way so, um, so, you know, I've been able to kind of monetize it and jump into public speaking. And that part's been really rewarding and really fun for me.
1: Well, I think I've waited my whole life for Savvy, right? So the, your most current project, I believe it is, um, is um, the film about women in finance. And I will tell you, and I've been around longer than you, so I've been in in business Um, For 35 years, um, I've employed 53,000 people, and my first thing I say to women all of the time is you have to redefine your relationship with money. You must redefine it because we are set in motion in a dysfunctional relationship with money, and until you get that right, you will never have independence. Um, And your current project, I absolutely, I might be second to Randy, but I am absolutely your biggest fan. It is a conversation that must start.
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I, I mean, ever since I got divorced, I wanted to make this film, and I, I knew I had to be sort of careful about how I made it. But what was interesting to me was, you know, when I started talking to people, so after 25 years of being married, I was suddenly solely responsible for my financial well-being again. And I began to talk to even some of my closest friends, married friends, asking them things like, well, h- how, you know, how much do you save for retirement and how, like, what are you investing in? And because I was genuinely concerned about, I would, you know, came out of this marriage. I, I didn't have, I do have spousal support, but I didn't have a 401k or separate IRA. I didn't really even know what all that stuff was that much. And, I'm a well-educated woman, right? But I, I just, it hadn't been in, it wasn't in my wheelhouse when we were married, it was a more traditional marriage and, and, and he handled that, the money. And, um, and I handled a lot of other things. And so, Having to do this for myself was suddenly it was somewhat intimidating. You know, how do I even have a finan- find a financial advisor and do I meet the minimums? I was pretty sure I didn't meet the minimum in order to even have a financial advisor. But when I was talking to friends about this and I would ask them these questions, they would squirm. They were so uncomfortable talking to me. People, you know, I was somebody they've known since they were five years old. Because in our society, it is taboo for women to talk about money. You don't just go up to someone and say, oh, how much, are you, how much is in your savings account how much are you investing and how much does your husband make, or how much do you make? We just don't talk about that. And so, you know, but the interesting thing is it's okay for men to talk about money in their circles. So you might overhear men, you know, pre COVID at a cocktail party or whatever, or maybe now these days talking about oh, you know, dude, I just invested in this amazing IPO, and it's tripled. And what about this? And did you see this ETF? Have you gotten to that? Or how about crypto? And, you know, did you see Ethereum lately? Right? It's okay for them to talk about that. But if I walked up to a group of women and said, Hey, is anybody investing in, in Bitcoin? And what do you think? Or did you, did you look at Dodge? Is that something that we should invest into? And I mean, people would just stare at me like, where'd you come from? So, one
1: hundred percent, and and the skill sets are different, right? What we teach our sons is different than what we teach our daughters. Um, you know, I'm my my baseline. Even though I, I'm I'm a, I'm definitely you know a CEO, is I'm a, a behaviorist. I've been a behaviorist for so long, and that's been my study, and that's how I grow co- companies. And when I sit with somebody for the first time, what I do is a reverse engineer of their calendar, right? Because time and money have an intimate relationship. And I can tell you on your, by your calendar whether you're going broke or whether you're investing in your future, right? Same thing with trying to understand that relationship with money, right? Most people don't walk through the exercise to figure out what is their actual cost of living? What is your actual cost of living? And unfortunately, women don't talk about it. They just think that magically, somehow, it's all going to work out. They don't understand the relationship with income. They don't understand the relationship with debt. They don't understand the re- all of these conversations that need to happen so that women can then feel safe and secure and not rely on somebody else to feel safe and secure. They have to build it from within. So I think that conversations, your, your your genius, your ability to be able to bring to life these documentaries, start conversations that need to be had. Right. It's not just about the answer. It's about starting the conversation so people can find their own answer.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I wish that the major platforms recognized the power and importance of these sort of cause based films more than they do. And you know, unfortunately, people say, "Well, you're you're ahead of the curve." Oh, well, I, I really? I mean, <laughs> really? Women women have been dealing with money and and wanting to know more. And by the way, there are a lot of men out there that would love for their female partners to get more involved in the finances. Right? It's a burden. You better believe it. Yeah, right. There's a it's a burden. Dig in. Right. And, and I think that there, and including in my own marriage, there were times it was like, you know, Hey, here, you want to understand our finances here, read through the stack of papers. And was it intimidation or time or lack of time or what that I didn't, you know, go through all that. I wanted sort of the cliff note version, but you know, there, I mean, you talk to financial advisors that say they insist that both people in the relationship show up to the first meeting. And then after that, usually typically, it's just the man and I know the women out there that say oh I'm in charge of the money in my family and that is great because of course there are and over the globe there are many many women that handle the day-to-day finances they handle you know the shopping the the lunch money all that but they don't necessarily handle the long-term financial planning
1: right and to solve any any problem all participants have to be paddling in the same direction right so if you're trying to create if your goal is to create generational wealth and you're in a partnership then both partners must understand the objective and the details in order for that objective to come to life and we're we're very blessed here with breakfast of champions because most of the men that you see here are huge huge supporters of women right um, but that doesn't mean we're not mimicking older roles, right? So again, for me, I, um, um, I'm not from this country, you know, I watched a very traditional, my father handled the finances, my mother had a budget, and she worked along the budget. She doesn't know how the budget came to be, uh, all she know whether she was in or, or not in the budget. Um, I was fortunate that my grandmother um, was the one who really more so ruled the roost, um and asked a lot of questions was extremely annoying and was really 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 involved way before her time um in my grandfather's business and so I got to see two different perspectives my mother who was a little bit more doing what she was told and my grandmother who was definitely involved so I knew it was possible um and then obviously for me I've just taken it to another level but I will say it then closes that circle of my female relationships, right? I have a smaller circle of women like me because we are redefining um, the the roles for people, for other women, for other men to be able to see. Those partnerships are different because there's, in my personal circle, um, i see partnerships i see really 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 strong partnerships that they are working towards a common vision and and not really gender on you're doing the money and i'm doing this it's really more based on the unique ability which we need more of it which is baffles my mind why there isn't more support of your work because those conversations need to be had they need to be dropping down into the school systems that's absolutely for sure so that they they you understand i always say when when people say oh i don't under i don't understand math i'm like you better understand math because math is money
3: yeah absolutely i mean getting you know relevant and i think that's the key word but relevant um financial education into schools is key right and it can be really fun i mean if you're in high school having to take a class on compounding interest in the stock market you give everybody a fict- you know fictitious thousand dollars and you have a simulator and you say Let's let's talk about what diversification is. Let's talk about what, you know, um, portfolios look like and go ahead and invest a thousand dollars each. We'll see where everybody is at the end of the semester. You know, what I mean, that's those kind of classes are like, whoa, I see what I could do with this. I see less than six percent of the Latinx community invest in the stock market and the stock market is the number number one generator of wealth in the United States and so to be missing out on that opportunity to grow your wealth and you know accessibility is really important so you look at companies like Robin Hood and you think okay that's awesome because it's it's making investing accessible and available to people however it's dangerous if you don't know what you're doing it, you know promoting day trading is not what I'm doing and it's not what really anybody should do because We've seen the repercussions of that. We've seen how it's blown up and, and ended up hurting people, right? Um, but but understanding the basics of, and it, it's not just finance, it's not macroeconomics, it's practical, realistic, like why isn't it okay to put your money right now in a savings account versus investing it in an ETF Right. And why don't not you know, don't freak out about the fact that the stock market was down three days ago because the last two days it's been back up. Right. I mean, it's about understanding long term growth. The thing that's really, really got me. And I think probably one of the most surprising things that I learned when I was investigating whether or not this would be a viable topic for a documentary. A lot of us say, oh, well, our moms totally had nothing to do with the financial planning. You know, our grandmothers didn't. Well, guess what? Millennial women abdicate financial decisions to the, somebody else, mainly the men in their lives, at a higher percentage than any other generation right now. This is a problem that's not getting better. I, I'm shocked.
1: I'm really yes. shocked because I, I my assumption, and, and apologize for my ignorance, my assumption is that the younger women would be more active.
3: Yeah, that's what you would think. And so when we dug deep and I asked this question, this was you know, the million-dollar question, is why is this happening? Is it the Cinderella effect that women just want to be taken care of? Is it because we're afraid of emasculating our male partners um, by you know saying, hey, I want to be part of these discussions? Um, is it because women have so much else on their plate That if they can just give one portion of that away, um, you know, not, not even giving it away, just saying, Hey, can you just, can I just delegate this? Can you handle this now? Look, in some cases, obviously, if you know, that's, if your husband or your partner's profession is wealth management, then that's great. You know, that's terrific. But have the discussions, have transparency, know whether you have a mortgage know how much you're putting away every year in savings right know know what you can afford what you can't afford Um, but taking a back seat or a total blind eye and not even knowing there's an example in savvy documentary about a young woman who was living in Seattle they had a five-year-old kid they just decided to put their kid into private school they just bought a bigger house they were living on what I call the, the the edge of financial fragility many of us do many of us do but they knew, it's okay, I'm gonna be getting a promotion pretty soon, we're both working, I work as an entrepreneur, you work as you know, a more secure job, but that's okay, it's gonna be tight for a couple of years but we're gonna make this work. He goes out for a bike ride, gets hit by a car and never comes home. She didn't know who held the mortgage, she didn't know how many mortgages there were, she didn't know how much savings they had, she didn't even know if he had checked like the disability box on his insurance. And when she very sadly had to, you know, pull the plug on life support, she was in a world, not only was she devastated and heartbroken, but she had to like pick up the pieces and start being in charge. And it's a lot harder to do when you haven't. And and she's a very, very capable, smart woman. She just let him handle all that. They hadn't even signed their wills. They'd done the wills. They met with the lawyer, but they'd never executed them. And so it made everything so much more difficult in that situation. So, you know, that's a very difficult situation that obviously we hope doesn't doesn't happen to any of us. But whether you end up divorced or you end up alone, we need to know what's going on financially.
1: Absolutely, because it's just, it's absolutely part of the picture, right? Your relationship with one thing is your relationship with everything. And if you don't understand the pattern of how it is either vibrating equally for flow or it's a contradiction, right? And I think that that's where a lot of people start to get stuck when they talk about trying to grow their life, grow their business, grow their money, is there is the contradiction, right? And that's why I always go after, you know, your relationship with time for some reason to be, is a less confrontational conversation with people And then show them how that their relationship with time equals the relationship that they have with money it also equals the relationship of the other things that they value and when i can be a mirror for somebody and show them their own life patterns they're then in an opportunity then to choose differently right but until you come into awareness that okay i have my head in the sand i really don't know how i would pick up from today and lead forward without any help from anybody else You have to really understand that. If you cannot pick up from today without the help of other people, then you are living in denial, right? Because things happen. People unexpectedly are not here tomorrow. Life happens, people lose jobs. And, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, if COVID wasn't an an opportunity for us to all learn that, you know, who, I mean, I was naive. I thought COVID was gonna last two weeks. I'm like, no problem, two weeks delay. I'll jump right back in here. I had no idea, right? And so, being able to have that voice, to have that conversation also deepers your partnership, right? Now you're not putting the entire responsibility on somebody else. You're having the dialogue, you're contributing, you're asking questions. Through asking those questions, both parties are learning. You know, part of uh, behaviors, if you actually really, really, really want to solidify a behavior, teach it to somebody else. That's what causes your brain to, to move it up on your recall, right? So I think it's, a, I, I think your work is incredible. I want to invite, um, Uh, Randy um, Sean is also here MK's here I want to invite you guys into the conversation you know Sean I know that you have been in the financial world for a long time so I'm sure you have something to say and Randy um, you know this is you you probably can answer the question better than anybody else why are these topics not being more well received in the media
2: you know I've got so many things every time I listen to Robin I'm so fascinated and I I want people to understand a few things Uh, running for Jim If you think she's interesting on this topic, this isn't her only film. I mean, Running for Jim, Bias, and Code Debugging the Gender Gap, which is specifically about why women, young women, are not studying computer science. They're all on Amazon, so you can actually go see all of these films on Amazon Prime right now. I, you know, and and I tell you, if you'll let me, I want to circle back to something that started early about the TEDx. That's where I have my real major question right now, because Robin and I have never discussed this. I like you both a lot. So I'm just perplexed by this whole concept of likability and women, because the truth is robin hauser and and amelia are two of my favorite people on the planet who i think are as likable as anybody why am i different am i different
1: um i will just to be fully transparent if you polled everybody here at practice with champions and said hey give me your top likable speakers i'm nowhere near on that list nowhere near on that list I'm just not and, and, and it's because I have a bite to me, right? I will, I will correct you, I will debate with you, I will a lot of those masculine traits, right? I have them. I'm I'm I am not soft and squishy. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I'm also the first one who will be there, check in hand, roll up my sleeve, sweat it out with you when there's a problem. I am reliable. That is what they will say likeable, probably not. And I think, you know, Robin and chime in here, I had to make peace with that because it caused me so much angst every decade of my life. It 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 alienated me when I was in my twenties. It made me lonely when I was in my thirties. I w- wondered what the heck was wrong with me in my forties. I had to make peace with the fact that likable wasn't going to be what people were going to say. And I had to start Uh, Leaning into the fact that what I really want to be is respected more than I want to be liked I want to be respected for the work that I put into the world that matters to me more so I had a change Internally with my relationship with those two words,
2: but that's just me now I I will comment and I want to hear what Robin says because this really hit me. I'd never discussed this with her I will admit, okay, I disagree with you. I think if we took that poll, I'd like to take that poll because I still think you'd be on that list of the most likable people on Clubhouse, so I'm going to disagree with you on that. (laughs) Absolutely. agree. But I just find it, maybe it is the fact that you're both so smart, so articulate, so intelligent, and so giving. That's the thing. Both of you love to give the intelligence away. You love to share you love to teach, perhaps it's just simply the fact that I'm fascinated by what you have to say that makes the difference for me. And Robin, this swings into bias, your film bias.
3: Yeah, it does, but I'm all, I also want to say, maybe it's also because we're not your boss. And I think that's where this competence-like ability dilemma affects women. It's mainly when they're in leadership roles, not just working for ourselves, the way you know Amelia and I are are able to, but and not that we don't have people working under us, uh, but but it's it's when we need to you know direct a huge company or it's when women are uh, in a position where they are hiring and firing and telling people what you know what they need them to do to make the company better. That in those leadership positions, it's when we. Um, sort of enforce our, our decisiveness or assertiveness um, when we don't defer to, uh, say, you know, a male's opinion. And, and by the way, I'm not male bashing, I love men. It's just, these are just, this is just what happens, the, the dynamics, right? Uh, Amelia can back me up on this, but that's when we become less likable. So if you and I, Randy, are friends because we're friends, then yeah, I find you incredibly likable too, you find me likable, that's great. Um, but there might be people that don't find me as likable if I suddenly start saying, okay, look, this is the way it's going to work. This is what we have to do to make this work. Right. And sort of take on this more assertive. I'm in charge
4: type voice robin this is uh, kim well i have a question for you so i i was dating in my 30s i already had a successful company and you know imagine all the scenarios that might happen with that but one of the things i found to do to uncover subconscious bias is to tell that riddle of the boy and his father getting into a terrible car accident the father dying the boy gets to the hospital and the doctor walks into the ER room and says, I cannot operate on this boy for he is my son. And I would ask who, what What happened? And the men that were unable to come up with the answer, I literally knew we weren't gonna work out because they literally could not picture that that doctor was a woman. And I remember sitting in the date with my now spouse, hoping he was gonna get that one right. Cause I really liked him and he did. And I was so thankful. Um, but actually, just told it to my 11-year-old while I was waiting to share here, and she got it wrong at first, so I thought, ooh, we're going to have to work on that. Do right, you so have- the,
3: the surgeon, just so everybody else knows, the surgeon's the mother, and we open the film bias with that riddle. We animate okay. it and we tell it because it's, it's shocking, and so women get it wrong, yeah. too. We, unconscious bias affects women, too.
4: Women, too. So do you have something? So I started using that as, like, my personal... Without having to tell a story on a first date about bias or a moment that I was wrong because that's not really gonna make for a romantic. I would use this riddle as a way to just tell me, should I continue? Do you have a way that you can tell if somebody has that bias that's gonna make it a little more challenging to work with that individual or to partner with them?
3: You know, I try to assume from the beginning that everybody, you know, the best of people and that that they're not gonna be that because what I've learned is that if I walk around looking for incidences of unconscious bias, then it completely totally overwhelms me and preoccupies me and I and I and I it becomes like a badge and I don't want to wear that, right? Um so I but I pick up on them when they happen. I mean like <laughs> it's the stupidest thing, but I was I was playing golf in San Diego. I didn't have my clubs with me. So I was with my my partner and he said, Oh we need to rent a set of uh, of clubs for you know for Robin and the the man behind the counter I mean he was probably in his 60s he looks at me with a really sweet smile and he said well for the young lady I have a very forgiving set of clubs now the truth is I need a forgiving set of clubs you know I haven't been playing that much I'm not that good but he had no idea I might be a scratch golfer he just made the assumption that as a woman I was not going to be very good and I needed a forgiving set of clubs right they're just little incidents like that And it was too funny because my boyfriend goes, Oh boy. And, you know, turns and walks away (laughs) and I let him go because I know he was well intended, but it's those kind of things that happen all the time. Those sort of assumptions that just begin to wear on us. Right.
1: And it's not just that. So in that scenario, just to tap on it, just sort of really kind of show the pattern here. It's the little girl who watches that, who that, then starts to learn where her quote, quote, place is, right? That it's not so much for me, right? Cause I will speak up for myself. I will absolutely speak up for my team, but my concern are is the younger generation and the younger generation underneath them for the young girls that I have conversations with who say, oh, you know, I respect you, Amelia, but I don't want to be you because I want to get married someday, right? All of this, like you have to trade one thing for the other. That is what I am fearful on is that you can't live your authentic, true self of what you, because you're going to limit it because you think you have to limit self in order to have these amazing partnerships, because there isn't a lot of those partnerships to look at where their people are on equal footing, different geniuses, but equal footing. That's my conversation. And Kim is a powerhouse, Robin, right underneath you. She's incredible. And so, Kim, thank you for jumping into the conversation because again, what I keep saying is, we, I just wanna have the conversation. It's having these conversations that lead us to a place where we then rise and become better as a society, not just individuals.
3: Yeah, that's right. And Kim, I, I, I mean, I hear you and I absolutely, you know, want to know if it's, if, if this, but often it's unconscious bias and they don't realize they're doing it. In fact, they think that they're being, you know, really thoughtful and helpful. And it's not until, but I I think it's about timing, tact and tone. And I say that only because, you know, there's a side of me that says, okay, I don't give a shit. I'm going to be, you know, if you're looking for the girl that's just going to look pretty on your arm and say yes to everything you say, you got the wrong girl. But if you're looking for somebody that's not afraid to have my opinion and also listen to other people's opinion and then you know collectively maybe come up with what i actually believe if you want to get into debate if you want to have you know i'm going to voice my opinion if you're a man that's strong enough to handle that great and if you're not then then we're not right for each other
1: and it's also the other value robin right i mean in a partnership you know i'll just use myself for an example the knowing that no matter what rock is thrown at our family i am fully capable to pick up and run towards the vision right if something were to happen right if something were to happen i've got it right so my partner knows that it doesn't come to a screeching halt right if something happens for me he runs on if something happens for him i run on all of the things that we've discussed That are in the vision for us for the kids and for the the work that we want to put in the world for our team whatever i mean um you know mk sean uh, randy are here i have said to them on numerous occasions if something happens with me continue on right and to be able to have that strength in a partnership changes the game versus having okay you're my hero and you've rescued me and then what and then what two totally different types of partnerships
3: yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, and on this whole topic of, of likability, um, I do think it's interesting that that not nearly as many men even consider it or think about it, or maybe they care deep down, but not the way women do. I was um, on a panel yesterday, moderating a panel yesterday and um, for Udacity, and, it, and I, Tracy Chow, who some of you might know, who was at Pinterest when she first sort of Challenged the tech industry to say, "What are your numbers? How, what's your diversity numbers?" Um, and she now is uh, runs uh, Block Party, and she admitted. She said, "You know what? Maybe it's the fact that I'm Asian. Maybe it's my culture. Maybe it's that I'm a woman." But she said, "I want to be liked." She said, I, "I do. I care about being liked." And I thought this is, you know, really interesting because we, of course, we do. Of course, we all want to be liked, but at what cost? And maybe it's when, as we get older, more mature, that we're able to say, you know what, what I really want, as, as Amelia, you and I both said earlier, I want to be respected. I want to be known that I am you know, compassionate, effective as a, as a whatever leading I'm doing, right? I mean, I'm not running, I'm not a CEO of a huge company. I run a film company. But I just want to know that I am fair, that I'm empathetic, and that I'm effective. But I'd like to be liked. That's the truth.
1: MK Sean, do you
5: want to pop in? Well, I just wanted to ask. Um, and hi, everybody. Breakfast with Champions. Amelia Glenn. i um, Robin. Being that the documentarian didn't need you, you know, your permission to tell your your, do- your daughter's story, was that a key moment for you to say, well, if someone's going to do it, it's going to be you, and if and if that situation ever happened would you be the storyteller that you are today
3: great question um yes that was absolutely me being a control freak and and wanting to jump in and and protect how she was depicted in that film and i also to be really honest what my main goal was and randy knows this because we've talked about it in years past but i did not want the story to be about her the story was about the coach the story was about the fact that in 75 years at the time there's no cure for a disease that is you know for for als um the story was about how this team of girls came together to support their coach so i jumped on to make sure that 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 was going to happen um and then ultimately you know didn't see eye to eye necessarily with with that filmmaker and and took the project on my own and then brought on a different director as well to, to help me finish it out, because I'd never made a film before, you know? But um, but that changed me, absolutely. I think that I think that opportunity to jump in on that and being Mama Bear, um, but really also this part of me that that comes, you know, I was marinated in a family where you give back, you give back, you give back. And so having the story be about, uh, A disease that needs to find a cure and about this amazing, you know, team that came to the rescue of their coach um, that wanted to make him the winningest high school coach in California history. That's what the story was about.
1: I welcome in other questions. Um, Laura Wilde, thank you very much for sharing the uh, TED talk. I really, really appreciate that. But I really want to be able to lean into the conversation. So if you guys would like to jump in for questions, uh, please welcome.
5: Good morning, Breakfast Champions. Robin, awesome. Um, Nice to meet you. I am a part of Amelia's team. I was sitting here processing, you know, what I was going to ask, and it's interesting. I just posted something on my Instagram, and I'm going to read it to you because it kind of ties into to my beliefs and the process of being one and wanting, wanting to be like. Um, and um, it's simply, it's this. It's, it says if you want to grow, heal, and evolve, you have to let go of wanting to be liked. And then I say, easier said than done what i've come to know is others disliking you is not a bad thing when you are embodying the person you truly know you are you can become it and creates fear in people who still operate from their ego the very qualities that make us the very qualities that make us likable in one person are the exact qualities that make us unlikable for another person And what I'm trying to say is, when we really start to understand who we are and understand what we see in our own selves, sometimes those qualities are a threat to other folks. And I think that's kind of what you've been talking about. And I applaud you for uh, understanding uh, the fact that most people, when you start to really embody the person that you truly are, can also be threatened by those very same qualities. So um, that's kind of my take on it. Um, I appreciate all your thoughts and and, uh, thank you for letting me speak.
3: Thanks, Sean. I think you're absolutely right. I think people are threatened by confidence, but especially when it's a super confident woman, right? Um, Because it's just something that, and even women, we women, judge other women who come across as super confident. I do it, I catch myself doing it. Um, so a lot of these things are just are hard to, they're hard to shake, but uh, love that, love what you posted, thank you.
2: Robin, I'll jump in again. Um, you have made a decision, and I've asked you about this before, and you said, okay, I said, why do you focus on women? And you go, well, that's kind of my thing, it is. That's where you focus. I am thrilled by every man who stayed to hear this because I think it's so important. Just because you focus, quote unquote, on helping a female audience does not mean that I can't benefit from it, that MK can't benefit from it, that Sean cannot. We absolutely can. I've seen all these films. I've learned something with all of them. How do we engage more men with your work? And and sort of the second part of that is how do do we engage them and what can men get from, in your opinion, what can men get from your work across the board?
3: Yeah, thanks for that question. And and you're right, I never, ever intend to marginalize my male audience at all. I do feel this – I feel very motivated to to help women. It's just um, because – I guess that's just who I am, but not to the point where I exclude men. Really quick story. The world premiere of Savvy was at the Santa Barbara Film Festival during COVID. And so the world premiere was at a drive through or drive-in, no, a drive-in movie. And um, I was uh, with my partner and my two adult children were in the back seat. And three-quarters of the way through the movie, I turned around and saw my son, 26-year-old son, on his phone. And so I squeezed his knee and said, Willie, watch your mama's film. And he says to me, Mom, I'm checking my credit score. And I thought, oh my god, it's working. Like, the film is having immediate actionable items, even for men, even for young men. And I, and at that moment, I thought, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome, you know? so. So yes, I actually think that men are going to... I think women that don't know how to broach the subject of money with their husbands but want to um, are going to bring their their partners or the male partners, their husbands, to this film. And I think men that hear about it that want their their wives or their partners to be more involved um, are going to want to see the film with their partners too. So... I am, am very hopeful. And yeah, if I were to go back, I would probably not have named code code debugging the gender gap. I think anytime you say the word gender or diversity, sadly, in this world, you know, it's uh, men feel like they're not included. And so they probably it's not the top of their list of the film they want to go see. But um, I'm getting a little bit smarter about that, right? Then, then then I think other times I think, no, screw it. This is, this is what it is. I'm not going to hide away from it. Savvy, women, money, freedom. That's, that's what I put. I'm like, that's what it is. I, gotta, I can't hide away from it. That's, I got to own it.
1: I love it. And you, you definitely have our full support here. And I, and I will just say it out loud. If there's anything that I can do to help you in any way, shape, or form, the answer is yes.
6: Thank you. Hey, Amelia, can I pop in real fast?
1: Absolutely, Mr. Glenn Lundy. It's your show, Glenn, meet Robin. Robin, meet our fearless leader, Mr. Lundy.
6: And hi, Glenn. <laughs> pleasure to meet you, Robin, and this is our show, Amelia, but I definitely appreciate that. i um, been listening in um, the, whole, the, the, the whole time, and Robin, I love your alignment. Uh, I love the alignment that you have and that you're very clear on um, the mission that, that, that you're on, I think that's incredibly important. And so it's easy for us to be attracted to you and, and, and engage with your thought and your, uh, the, the message that you're trying to deliver because there's so much conviction behind it. So I appreciate you putting in the work, right? Putting in the work to really get convicted. And my thoughts as I was listening to this whole thing. So I have, I have six daughters uh, and two no. sons. <laughs> I have six daughters and two sons. And then I also have, so 75% of my children are, uh, girls. And then my staff, when it comes to my, my team, 75% of my team is women. And, uh, obviously I have my beautiful wife and actually here in this room and with our, uh, with, uh, breakfast with champions, we run around the same numbers too. It's around 60 to 70% women. And so, I don't know what the rest of the world is missing out on, but as far as I'm concerned, women rule the world, and you guys rock. And the 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 impact that you're able to make, uh, to me, it just blows my mind that people that there are still people out there that 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 this culture and this society still uh, minimizes the power of a strong, aligned mission driven woman. Like it just, it just blows my mind. So I love that you're doing this work um, because I am a firm believer that uh, the more women that you can get on your team that know the direction that they're heading, uh, the further we can all go as humanity. So thanks. Thanks for what you do, Robin. I really appreciate it.
1: No, Robin, how can we support you? How do we support you? How do we how do we help amplify you in your work? How do we what do we what do we do? Um so as we transition this hour, we can really lean in and really kind of amplify and applaud you.
3: <laughs> okay, first thing, everybody's got to search Netflix for Savvy, that's S A V V Y or dollar sign A V V Y. Search for that or search for Robin Hauser. Because that's going to tell them that you want that film up there. So that's the first thing everybody can do. The other thing is um, I invite you to watch the film. It's going to be at the Naples International Film Festival in Florida. There will be a virtual component to it. So. And then um, would you please follow me? It's, it's at FLFDocs on Twitter, um, at Finish Line Feature Films on Instagram. Um, so follow us. I got to build our our following because I'm sort of switched from each film having its own, you know, f- name to just consolidating everything at Finish Line Features. So we're we're working on that. But um, yes, watch my films. They're they're on Amazon Prime. All but Savvy, Savvy still on the film festival circuit, and having this incredible opportunity to join you this morning is is helpful in itself. So thank you. I'm I'm grateful. Thank you so much, Robin.